computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am the host for today, Tim. You know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. And I'm doing a quick solo pod. Tom is not here with us. We had some uh, schedule conflicts and I'm about to be traveling for a bit. Uh, so wanted to get something out to you for this week. I just recently recorded podcasts on Adrian Griffin, Terry Stotts, Rajon Rondo, Mark Jackson, mentioned Steve Clifford a bit. We're going to dig into some others. I've got a Darvin Ham one that I'm just editing all on the feed for the Discord subscribers of the lower bowl tier or above. So all those folks, that's the, the five month, $5 a month tier. In addition, in addition to getting access to exclusive channels and our film room channel and some other things, you get those bonus podcasts and they're coming rapid fire for you these days with the Lakers looking into more candidates for their head coaching position. And today I'm going to give you a little taste of what some of those breakdowns have looked like. It'll be a little light, but uh, we recently heard news that Kenny Atkinson and Charles Lee were two candidates that the Lakers have requested permission to interview. So the kind of analysis I'm giving you now is going to mirror some of the analysis. Well, <laughs> for Mark Jackson, it was uh, it got into a whole other slew of topics as well. But if you want to check out those other podcasts to get my uh, perspective on those other candidates, go check out that feed and, and subscribe to our Discord channel and, and you'll get to see that stuff over there. But for now, Atkinson, Charles Lee, Kenny Atkinson, current assistant coach on the Golden State Warriors staff. He was the head coach for the Brooklyn Nets for a few years until he stepped down. Let me pull up his Wikipedia page. Make sure. Let me see what he did before then. Because I don't know that I remember what he was doing before that. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was a Hawks assistant for a few years, a Knicks assistant for a few years. Uh, he was an assistant in Paris in the French League uh, for a few years in the early 2000s. So he's he's been an assistant for a while. He had those few years as the Brooklyn Nets head coach. After that, he spent a year on Ty Lue's staff with the Clippers. This year, he's been with the Warriors staff and is someone that... We see a lot of coaches fail in roles and get fired and then nobody wants them because they failed and, and they were fired and it looked bad. Adkinson stepped down and I don't know that he's seen with the same uh, degree of, I don't know, he it, his time as a head coach I think has been painted differently than I guess my perspective of it by a number of people, I think more just the general consensus on him is, you know, he was a guy who took the the win loss total in Brooklyn up year after year after year, and then and then left. Uh, he, I mean, when we look at what he did, he went twenty and sixty two, won twenty four percent of his games his first year in Brooklyn, 2016-2017, They missed the playoffs. Next year, they won twenty eight games, lost fifty four. They won thirty four percent of their games, missed the playoffs. 2018-2019 went 42 and 40, so just over 500 and lost in the first round. They they lost in 5 games in the first round. 
and then the following year, 28 and 34, and then resigned before the end of the season. But that year was certainly not on pace to finish higher than uh, the, the year before. So he got out a little early, wasn't fired, but it wasn't, from my perspective, it, I didn't like what I was seeing. Now, I've heard things about him building a culture, uh, you know, getting buy-in, focusing on development, and some of those things that for, for a team that's really in rebuild mode were, were the kinds of things you want. For a team that's looking to perform and make the most of their players, I didn't see the kinds of things that, that you would hope for. When we look at our optimization database, and this is one that, that only goes from 2013 to 2020. We, we have the past, uh, what, two seasons aren't in here because we've been revamping the, the approach and we'll have that out this offseason to get the, the next two years accounted for and refine what had been calculated previously. But when we look at our optimization ratings, um, quick, quick primer on those because I don't think I've referenced them in a bit. In the past, what we did was we had our... Uh, impact metric PIPM at LeBron at uh, sorry <laughs> at B-ball index before we had our LeBron metric and we would take that to look at player impact and we would compare that for each individual player with what we'd expect them to be able to do based on their talent grades and our you know perimeter shooting finishing off ball movement playmaking post play roll gravity offensive rebounding defensive rebounding perimeter defense interior defense I'm probably missing a couple but all of those talent areas and their roles ran that in some machine learning to figure out, okay, for each job, guard in you know a shot creator role, how important is playmaking? How important is perimeter shooting and all these different things? And when you plug in the player's skills and their job, it would spit out, okay, here's what we expect them to be able to do. And that's also what we're looking to rerun this offseason. Now that we have new roles, we've added defensive roles and have redone our talent grades. So We'll have, I'll have some updates. I don't expect it to, you know, result in gigantic shifts in the, in like the results of these calculations. But in the past, we compare the actual results with what they should be able to get out of the players, given their skill sets, aggregate that at the team level. And you end up seeing results that show us who's optimizing their talent the most, the least we, we, you know, stack them all up. We had seven seasons of data in here. And when you look at like the, the coaches that were getting the most out of players offensively, it's Guys like Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, Ty Lue, Mike D'Antoni, um, Terry Stotts was up there. Jeez, uh, those are some of the the top ones. When you look at some of the top defensive ones, Kerr, Nick Nurse, Greg Popovich, Frank Vogel, Mike Budenholzer, Quinn Snyder. These are names that make sense. Um, so uh, Steve Clifford up there for defense. I'm trying to look at some others. Yeah, I'd say those are the top ones. And, and Taylor Jenkins in the one season we had from him graded out pretty, really, really well on the defensive end as well. Uh, they they match the eye test. Yeah, I'd say I like these. I think these look good. I think once we run them, they'll look a little bit better. And, and we'll have more years, so there'll be more of a sample as well. But when we look at these, there are only a few coaches in the database that got F grades when we stack everybody up and, and you know turn the rankings into percentiles and turn the percentiles into grades. There are only one, two, three, four, five coaches that had F optimization ratings for both offense and defense. Lionel Hollins, Byron Scott, Earl Watson, Larry Drew, and Kenny Atkinson. 
he was one of only five coaches that, according to these calculations, was massively, uh, you know, uh, not setting his talent up well for success. He was getting less out of what he was given. Uh, the results were less than what he should have gotten on both sides of the ball. And there were a lot of coaches who had an F in one area and then were okay in another or were at least below average in another. Luke Walton, F offense, D plus defense. Or, or no, I'm sorry, D plus offense, F, F defense. Um, no, I'm reading this off, wrong. <laughs> F offense, D plus defense. Uh, you know, there are other guys that, that you know, Jim uh, Boylan, F offense, C minus defense. Uh, let's see. Jeff Hornacek, D plus offense, F defense. Like there were some that were bad or like Mike Woodson for the one year we had was A minus offense, F defense, or uh, Rick Carlisle, good offensive coach, not so hot on the defensive end. Like it's it's hard to be an F in both areas and Atkinson was one of the few guys who did so. And this isn't just look, I mean, that's just looking at the data, but when we go and look at the film, I don't like the film either. It was one of those pass the ball a lot, move the ball. And to me, it almost was mistaking ball movement and and pass volume with good offense. I think, you know, action volume matters. And like, it's bad to just hold on to the ball. And in the Mark Jackson podcast, I talked about how his teams were at the bottom of the league when it came to passing and at the top of the league when it came to like time of possession per touch. It's not good to have a bunch of like heavy ISO offense generally, but just the opposite of that, just passing a lot doesn't naturally mean you're going to have good offense. And I think this was one of those cases where like looking at those data points, they were led a little bit astray and the action wasn't there. There was movement without, without action. There weren't scoring chances created. There weren't manufacturing anything. The, the ball screen offense wasn't targeting coverage as well. Like there was a lot that was left to be desired about how they were running things. And I think they were saying the right things, you know, to the media. And there's, to a degree, a lack of ability from folks who are covering the teams to be able to, like, critically analyze some of those deeper X's and O's things, which is understandable. A lot of the folks who have that skill set are coaching teams. But this was a case where they played the media well, but the actual film doesn't look very good. The data doesn't look very good. When we look at data we have on how often they were adjusting coverages both in the regular season and the playoffs for his one season in terms of like, all right, how were you defending ball screens? Did you do the same thing every single time? Or were you able to switch up coverages? Same thing with off ball screens, hands off, handoffs, ISO, post-ups, and then even zone usage. Kenny Atkinson, D for ISO, F for post-ups, D for ball screens, F for off ball screens, F for handoffs. In the playoffs, same kind of deal. It wasn't really playing the, the adjustments game. wasn't playing the tactics game defensively. And offensively, the scheme was not looking good. And so I don't like that element. I don't think he's adding much there. Right now, he's an offensive coach for the first Steve Kerr Warriors team. And to me, that doesn't mean a whole lot. That's like being an offensive coordinator for like a Ryan Day or Mike Gundy offense in football. Like, they call the plays. You're not, you're along for the ride. We've seen, you know, Steve Curves calls the plays. When you watch the Warriors play the Grizzlies with Mike Brown coaching the team, who was their defensive coordinator for the year, uh, he's now the one calling the plays. It's not Atkinson stepping up and taking more charge on that end of the court. It's like they've fully let the defensive coach also do the offensive end. And the offense has been a disaster. 
Uh, like they've they've looked just very stagnant for long stretches of time with Kerr out due to COVID. And to me, that's damning on Kenny Atkinson. It, Kerr is the guy running this. And so I don't know that that experience is really adding a whole lot or moving the needle for me. And so I have a lot of concerns on the scheme side. From a locker room standpoint, I mean, indications are good. Maybe there's more info that I don't have. But from what I understand, he was good in the locker room, got along with the players. This is someone that I don't know what you would really be getting because there are other guys that are better leaders and they are coaches that are better on the scheme side. And I don't know what the pitch would be to go for Atkinson. Also, I'm not sure exactly what the pitch would be to bring him on as an assistant coach because I don't know that he's adding anything on the offensive or defensive ends. Player development is something that had been his focus on his way up as an assistant. And as a head coach, he took over for a team that was very, very young and grew over time. Those Nets teams had really young, bad players rebuilding, and they went from like horrific winning like 20 games to you know winning 28 games um, to winning a little bit more. They had D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris was on these teams. There were uh, Jeremy Lin was over there and he was playing well. Like there were some solid players on these teams. It wasn't that they had nobody. This wasn't some of those, these weren't some of those tanking Sixers teams that just had absolutely nothing. There were some real basketball players here and they weren't making the most of them, but they were also young and getting better and they're not the same players then as they were as they are today. Um, so I can't say, oh, you know, it's not like he had this year, Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell and Joe Harris and whatnot. It was those guys then. But from a development standpoint, it's important to understand that over, like, we should expect more growth for young players. That is just the way it is. Guys, when they come into the league for a lot of skill sets, for most skill sets, they, they grow the most their youngest years in the league. And then once they get to around 26, 27, 28, it kind of plateaus a bit. And then from that point forward, there's a slow decline that accelerates over time. So, you know, by your like early 30s, mid 30s, you should be getting worse in each of those skill sets by more than you were as a 29 year old, as a 30 year old, as a 28 year old. So there's, there's this curve that it climbs up, it flattens out a bit, and then it slowly starts to go down until it's really traveling fast in a downward direction. Atkinson took over a team that was very, very far to the left on the curve. So we would expect them to grow a lot. And looking at using that same kind of optimization type of data, looking at the skill sets for players, looking at their individual skills and comparing what they were expected to do from a growth standpoint to what they actually did, these teams were underperforming their growth, which was surprising but and concerning to me. But I think that that's really hard to wrap your mind around without the data is like just a young team supposed to get better. And they probably should have gotten better than we even saw from them. And how much of that is just he wasn't, you know, running good sets and, and they weren't, you know, operating in a smart way. I don't know. But at least from that standpoint, and I'm interested to see how this looks once we like rerun the numbers this offseason, there's nothing there that makes me really buy into some of these accepted narratives about him as a coach. So I don't think that he's necessarily going to hurt the team if brought on in an assistant capacity, but I'm not excited about his name being on this list. I don't want him to be the head coach. I think there are better options. I'm not sure what the pitch would be for the Lakers to go after him. Uh, 
and I don't know. I'm just selling. I'm not. I'm not buying this. I don't. The, the film stinks. The data stinks. The narratives were carefully crafted, but I don't buy into. The team success isn't even there. Uh, so I don't. I don't like it. He, in his job right now, we're seeing like right now in the playoffs, things not go well. When you know Steve Kerr's out and he needs to step up in game, it's just not there. So not a big fan of that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Moving on to Charles Lee. He's someone who is an assistant on the Milwaukee Bucks coaching staff. Let's uh, take a look. He, not Charles Lee, the general. Charles Lee NBA. Charles Lee basketball. He was on the Hawks staff as well. Yeah, so he was a coach for Bucknell as an assistant for a few seasons and then joined Mike Budenholzer's staff on the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and then has stayed with him for the Milwaukee years as well. I talked to some folks who cover the Bucks and was able to get some intel on him and also Darvin Ham. Uh, for Lee specifically, he's responsible for the team's offensive ATO plays, which are very good and have been elite from an, an expected efficiency standpoint for seasons, for multiple years. Looking at the second spectrum data, they've been top of class in this area, and they've been the best team, the most consistent elite team. They've been the only consistent elite team for like four or five years in this area. So that is largely on Lee, I was told. I was told he was also to some degree, not not quite sure exactly how much, but in charge of the Bucks offense, more of a, a coordinator kind of role for that. And so I've spoken in the past about when we talked about him, I like the Bucks offense. I It's simple. 
but they do a good job creating and attacking gaps. They do a good job making good use of Giannis, which I think, you know, AD isn't Giannis, but there are some similarities there that I can see translating over. I can see Giannis and LeBron in certain ways are similar as well. Uh, so a lot of what they've done to set him up well for success, I think translate to the Lakers guys and setting them up well for success. So I like their general setup. It's simple, but it's smart. Um, there are areas for improvement, but it's it's a good, you know, it's better than, if, if you can tell me they're going to have great ATOs in a smart, simple offense that's easy to catch on to and uses guys well and makes good use of like non-shooters, I, I can get behind that. We also saw in the Boston-Milwaukee series how the Bucks were able to counter post help really, really well when Boston tried to send extra bodies at Giannis when he was posting up. So that is encouraging to me. That translates over well to the Lakers team. Uh, I like that. The offensive adjustments for the Bucks in previous years had not been good. They've been a good defensive adjustment team and, and had gotten a lot of crap for sticking with drop coverage. And I think Bud, for, to an extent, is a little stubborn in that respect. Uh, between him and Ham, they would they would stick to the drop a little bit too much, but they've really gotten past that more recently. So, but that's not Lee. I don't. I, I there are things I like about their defense that I just don't think apply to him. There are things I don't like about their rotation minutes, and they've had issues with that in previous years in the playoffs. That also really doesn't apply here to Lee. I think that's a bud thing. So it's really about the offense. And I was told of the two Milwaukee assistants, Ham is the one with more. Uh, he's better with the players. I. I didn't hear that Lee was bad with the players, but but I heard that Ham was he had a lot of gravitas within the locker room and commanded a lot of respect, and he was he was more the Phil Handy in terms of locker room, uh, you know, working with the players uh, among the two assistants within Milwaukee. So not necessarily a bad thing for Lee, but you know you, that that's certainly something you want to have. That that would be helpful. That really matters. So that's interesting to know. Looking at the data, again, that optimization data, Bud has a C-plus for offensive optimization between his Atlanta and Milwaukee days, but the Bucks days, and we only had two years in the sample. Remember, we don't have the past two seasons. Those two years, those ter- first two years in Milwaukee were elite years from an offensive optimization standpoint. And so I don't know if Lee had been running the offense for the Hawks years, or he just took over recently with Milwaukee or at some point during Milwaukee, but their Milwaukee years were awesome. And the Hawks years started good at the very beginning of the sample, 2013, 2014, and they quickly went down. So that's interesting to know. But uh, recent great success, and the recent stuff's I think, more what we care about here. Uh, and, and it looks good. So Lee, for me, if I'm going to pull up my tiers, and let me, let me go into the Discord. I've been updating my list in there. Let's see. Okay, yeah. My updated tiers. I have Lee in my tier three uh, with Fizdale, Clifford, Stotts. Um, I have Ham in tier two, but I, I see Lee as a tier three guy. We know he's going to add value on one side of the ball. And just, just like the other guys on that list, Fizdale offense, Clifford defense with some offense, and then Stotts offense. For him, it comes down to, like, what do we get on the other end of the court? And I don't know what to expect. I, I'm not making any assumptions there because we know he, there are other guys. There's a head coach and a coordinator in Milwaukee responsible for the defensive side of the ball, and Lee is neither of those. So don't know what to expect there, but 
uh, you know, him plus a strong defensive coordinator, just like Terry Stotts plus, like if you can give me Lee and Clifford or Stotts and Clifford or Fisdale and Clifford, I think that's a good combo. Um, or, I mean, like Lee and, and Ham, which I don't think they both come over and leave the Bucks, but, uh, you know, something like that. There, there are combinations here within the tier two and three guys where them plus another one of them can yield you a really good staff because you've got an offensive specialist and a defensive specialist and I think that's really what you're looking for. So that's what I've got on Lee. That's what I've got on Atkinson. Atkinson does not make the top three, doesn't make, not make the top four tiers for me. He's not someone I'd have as a finalist or close to a finalist. Uh, but that's that's what we got for today. We'll stay up to speed on who the Lakers are looking into, who they're interviewing. I'll dig into the film. I'll look at the data. And I will keep you appraised as to what that's looking like. I, again, will be traveling moving forward. So in terms of a pod next week. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but we'll try to find a time to make that happen. Uh, I'll be active within the Discord, of course, in, in talking through things there, even if I'm not able to do like an emergency pod or something like that. Uh, so definitely check that out. Again, I, I did pods on Mark Jackson, Terry Stotts, Rajon Rondo. Uh, Steve Clifford was mentioned in there. Um, I'm forgetting a name. Who else was it? Uh, Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin, another another int- really, really intriguing candidate. Uh, you can check out my thoughts on those at our separate podcast feed for the Discord uh, folks that are in that lower bowl tier, tier or above. And uh, speaking of those folks, wanted to say a quick thank you for all of them for supporting what we're doing over here to Mike H for generously supporting the pod as an arena sponsor to Zach Harris, Q Daddy O, iPod Shuffle, Romario and Chamber for living the high life with us in the owner's box. And then also to our courtside and lower bowl crew who support what we do here. It really keeps us going. If you want to get in on that action, DM me, DM Tom, DM the Lakers X pod or the Lakers sex pod on Twitter and send us a five-star review of the podcast and we can get you into that discord group. Alternatively, if you check out the link that's in my bio, you can go to a page that outlines those instructions I just gave and then also a number of other, you know, all of the different tiers that we have within the group and what it what does it mean to be an arena sponsor? What do you get for being in the owner's box? What do you get for courtside? What do you get for lower bowl? We're creating value. We're giving you those extra experiences to make it so much better to be a Lakers fan than just listening to the pods we're doing here and, and what you see from me on Twitter. Uh, it's way more engagement, great folks in there. We have awesome discussions. We've got like content creators in there that just aren't public content creators, but they give us excellent analysis within that group. So it's it's definitely a great group. Definitely reach out and, and try to join that. Uh, that is all I have for you today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I will catch you next time here on the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. See ya. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.